This is the Dear Dougie podcast from the Dougie Center in Portland, Oregon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and today we're doing a little bit of a different setup here for our podcast. We have a special guest with us who I'll be introducing in a moment. So for those of you who are used to hearing Brendan Connolly's voice, he will not be joining us today. And the Dear Dougie podcast has grown out of um, the over 30 years that we have spent at the Dougie Center talking with children, teens, young adults, and their family members who have experienced a death. And we were really wanting to find a place that we could share what we've learned from them with the larger community. So our podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. You know, loss is something we all experience in our lives, but most of us, when it happens, find ourselves confused and unsure. We don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to help talk through your questions. And as I said, I'm really excited today, um, sitting here with Jenna Starr, who's one of our current participants in one of our young adult groups. And I'm going to let Jenna tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me on today. Um, <clears throat> my name is Jenna, and I'm in the young adult support group here at the Dougie Center. Um, I'm 25 years old, and I've been coming to the group for about three years now. Three years? Yeah, three years. Time really flies. But yeah, that's about how long I've been in the group. Um, and I grew up here in Portland. I lost my mom when I was eight years old. She died of cancer. And then I lost my dad when um, I was 21 years old. He died of a different type of cancer. Um, and it was about a year and a half after my dad died that I started coming to the young adult group. And how did you first find your way to the young adult group? Well, I actually knew about the Dougie Center from when I was younger. I had heard about it, and I didn't come to the Dougie Center as an eight-year-old, um, which is so funny, but I, our family um, heard about the Dougie Center after my mom died. Um, I didn't attend then, but I always knew about it, and I kind of kept it in the back of my brain. When my dad died when I was 21, um, I was living in Bend for a little bit, and I moved back to Portland, and I always remembered about the Dougie Center, and I thought, you know, if I'm moving back to Portland, I should definitely check this out and attend one of the groups. So um, as soon as I got settled in Portland, I emailed you, and that's how, that's how it got started. Found your way to us. Mm -hmm. Do you remember back when you were eight what kept you from coming to the Dougie Center then? I don't really recall. A lot of my memories from that time are a little fuzzy um, around that time that my mom died, but I think I was more, I was a little shy back then, and I think I didn't know what it would be like to attend the group with, with a bunch of other kids and what it would be like. But now, looking back, I wonder if it really would have, um, really would have been great for me at that age to come and be around. Yeah, be around other kids. It's funny you mentioned coming in and feeling shy to be with all those other kids. We just had an orientation this morning where families come for the first time, and inevitably when the kids walk through the door, it's big eyes, and I don't know about this place, and my parent made me come here. And by the end, they're like, when do I get to come back? When do I get to play? So, mm -hmm. so, so often that initial, I'm feeling really uncomfortable, dissipates really quickly. Absolutely. So Jenna, we, we were really excited to have you on the podcast because you've had the unique experience of having both of your parents die a significant amount of time um, in between those deaths, but it's not something that we have really uh, often here at the Dougie Center. So I was just interested of, you know, for you, what have been some of the similarities or the differences in those two different deaths and those different grief experiences? Yeah, so when my mom died, you know, at the age of eight, um, I was definitely in a state of, you know, I was very attached to my mom, and then she was sick for about two years, and um, 
that was a huge change for our family, um, for her to die at that, um, at that point in our family life. Um, like I said, some of my memories are pretty fuzzy. I remember being there when she actually died. Um, but that time is kind of, it kind of has a dreamlike quality to it. Um, so when I look back, I have some memories that are really vivid and then some memories that are really fuzzy. Um, and I also just remember trying my hardest to still be an eight-year-old kid and going to all the, the sports and activities that I did. Um, so I had this really um, profound sense of missing my mom, but it was also in that eight-year-old sense of like, but I just want to go to school and I it go was to soccer. Yeah, and my friends over for a sleepover. Exactly. So you know, I think um, I wasn't really in control. This I, when you're eight, you just you're responding to things, and um, I you know I just kind of kept going with the activities that I really liked at that time. I didn't so much talk about my grief um, out loud, but I think I did process a lot in my thoughts, and I did some artwork um, at that time. Um, and then, you know, when my dad died, I was 21, and so obviously at a really different place um, in my life, and um, got to be with, we got to be with our dad while he was sick and dying, and that experience as a 21-year-old was really profound. Um, it was, you know, I could really process about it and think about it as it was happening, um, and it was just a really special time to be with our dad while he was sick. You know, that month that he was ill, um, my siblings and I were able to be with him, and it was a very challenging time, but it was also almost meditative in the way mm. that we got to be with him the whole time and really focus on taking care of him. Step by step. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really step by step, and, and that was a little bit different. Um, my mom died in the hospital. It was a little bit more sudden that her cancer came back. Um, you know, with my dad, we were able to be home with him on hospice, and so that... Um, that had a really different feel to it. We were really able to be with him every step of the way. So more of a pace that you could get involved with, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, and just being older and being able to reflect on it as it was happening and kind of take things in. Um, whereas when I was younger, it was more, it was a little bit more of a shock to me. And of course, being eight, it was hard to keep track of what was happening and what was going on with my mom's illness. Do you remember much about when you were eight and your mom was ill and then she died? Like how your dad interacted with you around that, what he shared with you about what was happening? Yeah, I mean, so my mom was sick for, I believe, at least two years. Um, and so, you know, I knew about her illness. I was there when, you know, she bought a wig, when she lost her hair. Um, and I remember we had the hospital bed in the room, in the living room at one point. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily hidden away, you know, it was very apparent what was going on and I still spent a lot of time with my mom um, during the time that she was ill. Um, and, you know, my dad, he, he was really trying to keep the family going at that point. He was working full time. Um, he did, I believe he was very open with both me and my brother. Um, my brother was a teenager at that time, so he was at a really different place in his life when our mom died. Um, but both my, my dad and my grandparents, my mom's parents, um, were really open with us about their grief and how they were reacting. And I remember times after my mom died that my dad would just hug me and he would cry and, you know, he'd say, I miss her so much. And so there was lots of openness about, about grief in my family. And I really remember that from a young, a young age, starting at about, you know, six years old when my mom was sick and then later after she died. And it sounds, as you're recounting it, it seems like you experienced that as something positive or helpful, that the adults were transparent about what was going on. Yeah, I, I did. I was, um, I did not like to be kept in the dark <laughs> as a kid. So, you know, I was always trying to find things out about what was going on. And, and I think 
being able to see my dad grieving was helpful for me to know that that was normal and mm -hmm. that was okay. It's okay to be having feelings and crying and missing her. Yes, it made, you know, it did make sense. And I know that he, um, he sought out a support group for himself at that time. And I think that was helpful. Um, and then he grieved in other ways. He, he wrote songs on the guitar that were, he had a song called the single daddy blues at one point. <laughs> and we all sang this at the, you know, at our family holidays. And I think that's one of the most amazing things when I think back about my dad's grief, you know, he certainly cried and had other ways of expressing his grief, but he also created music. And mm. um, that was a, a way for our family to connect during that time. To share in that, even though you're all grieving in your own ways, because you were saying your brother was so different for him mm -hmm. and you being eight and your dad being missing his wife who died versus you two having your mom die. Mm -hmm. But that song brought you together to have some commonality with that. Yeah, definitely. And it was out in the open, you know, it wasn't um, something that we were trying to hide away necessarily. I mean, we didn't talk about it all the time, or, but it was definitely something that came up in family discussion and was really acknowledged at family gatherings. And, and I think that was helpful for me as a, as a young kid to mm -hmm. see. So, it, so you're 21, you're with your dad for a month, a couple of months a as month, he's yeah. ill. You're watching him die, you're being part of his care. Your dad dies. How does having your mom die when you're eight inform the grief that you have watching your father die and then experiencing his death? It really, it really did. You know, it was a really different, of course, experience and a really different death um, to see, but it really did inform my grief in the sense that when he became ill, I thought, okay, here we go. You know, this is something that um, we've been through before, that my family's been through before. It's something that I have a really core sense about, like a profound sense of people get sick and this is what can happen. Um, so on the one hand, it was um, tough when my dad got sick because I had this sense of knowing what could occur. Um, before we knew he was going to, to die, um, you know, I just, I knew that it could happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if, you know, perhaps if my mom hadn't have died, I wouldn't have had that sense so quickly. Like I would have thought, oh, you know, he'll get on the treatment, he'll be able to you know, heal or get well from this illness, but um, but right away when he was in the hospital and we found out that it was cancer, I just I just knew that this was a possibility, um, and so I think that informed my grief in the sense of um, my feeling of acceptance a little bit mm. with what could happen came in a little bit earlier. I think um, so some people might call it fatalistic, but for you it felt more like a sense of I'm just I'm accepting that this could happen, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be able to wall that out. Some people might have that, like, I'm just staying hopeful and we're going to get through this. But you're like, no, someone's died. Somebody else could die, too. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, talking with friends and other people in the group, when you've had someone die, it does really change that sense of, like, what can happen later in your life. And I think it kind of uh, forever tweaks with that sense of, like, mm. everything's going to be okay. Um, so that can be challenging at times. But also, I think... For my siblings and I, it was helpful to have that knowledge or that sense going into it um, because we really could support one another and we really knew what the possibilities were. Um, you also, know. like sitting with the, the realism helped you be there for each other in a way that maybe you couldn't have if everybody was just trying to stay super hopeful or not knowing that that could happen. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it's, it's so unique for everyone in terms of like what emotions come up at what time with grief and it's so personal. Um, but for me, I know that having that sense, although it was definitely challenging, did, did help a little bit um, or kind of changed my grief around my dad. What kinds of conversations did you have with your dad during those last few weeks and days of his life? 
Um, so we had a lot of practical conversations, a lot of logistical conversations. Um, he was very um, organized with his affairs and ev just everything that, um, you know, can come up after a death, like, oh, we need this account number, or we need this information. He just, he had everything ready to go. All business. It was, he was so organized. And I think that came from being a, sing a single parent for so many years, um, that he had everything ready to go for us should he die at some point. Um, and so we talked about that stuff, but we also just talked about, um, you know, some of the family history, um, places in the world that he had wanted to go but never got the chance to go. He really wanted to go to Norway, and so we talked about, like, what if we go to Norway sometime, mm. you know, my siblings and I. Um, so and you were able to we, do some dreaming with him, even in the act of him dying. Yeah, we really were. And then we had a lot of just immediate conversations around what was going on in the hospital. You know, how was his care going? What did we think of the doctors? You know, what were the Who snacks? Who was the nice nurse? Who was the nurse you maybe weren't so happy to see? Exactly, exactly. All those things in the hospital that become your, your world when you're in there. You know, like, what snacks did he like to enjoy? And all those little tidbits about the day that um, just become your experience as anyone knows when you're in the hospital with someone 24 seven. Mm, it's like its own encapsulated separate universe mm -hmm. that's happening. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to go from that meditative place? You're in the hospital, then you're at home with hospice, and then your dad dies, and now I have to go back out into the world. That was the most challenging time for me. So being with my siblings and my dad um, while he was ill, it was meditative and there was so much to focus on. There was so much to, um, to do when we were all together, you know, taking care of our dad and then taking care of each other and making sure we were functioning and eating. And there was so much to do in that, um, in that space when he was on hospice. And then after that, you know, I went back to college. So I was 21 and then I had one year of college left after my dad died. And that was really when all the challenges came for me because it was, I found it extremely difficult to integrate that experience that I had had, which was so profound um, and really special in a way. You know, it was so challenging, but it was also really special. Um, I found it really hard to go back to college after that and kind of integrate that experience that I had had into this world of, you know, all my friends and, and parties social. and graduation <laughs> and dating and. Yeah, all the, exactly, all those things. Um, and that was really when I started to feel more isolated and more confused and really started to struggle with my grief in a way that I hadn't struggled when we were all together. Um, with and people who are all having the same experience so you could be in that world together speaking the same language. Exactly, yeah. And then in college, it, I just um, I had only one my year, but it was, it was a, a tough year for me to figure out how to navigate in that world. How did you get through? What helped you get to the, the finish line of college? Well, I actually found a support group at, I went to U of O and I found a support group there at the health center. Um, and it was, it was a grief support group and it met every other week, similar to how the group is here at the Dougie Center. Um, and I loved that group. I, I made friends that I'm still in touch with. Um, I found that it was so helpful for me to come together with it. It was almost like a secret, we felt like we were a, <laughs> a secret, secret club. club. <laughs> yes, <laughs> a secret club on the campus, you know, in the sea of students who are thinking about all, everything else other than death. Mm -hmm. You know, we were these seven or eight, you know, students who were really thinking a lot about death and a lot about our person who we miss so much and just how are, how are we going to manage this grief that we have. And so being able to meet with them, I think that was the, mo the number one thing that got me through that year. So it seems like it was almost less about what you learned from them as much as just having the connection and the sense of we're in this together. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah, because, you know, we... 
each person brought something um, different to the group each week and there wasn't any pressure of you know, any grief timeline like we've talked about so much, there is no grief timeline. And so being able to come to the group and say, I'm sad this week or I'm angry this week or you know, I feel okay this week and have whatever order of those things is fine. Um, that that was really, really helpful for me. No one's like, you're behind schedule and right. you had your anger <laughs> week last week, so really we want you to have a different week this week. Exactly, yeah. And as you're talking, it's interesting to think that that group, you're all at the same college, you're all kind of in the same place in your life and you're grieving. And then our group here, people are coming from all different places. Some are in school, some are working full time, some are living at home, some are getting married. How has that been for you to be in a group that's a lot more mixed in terms of life circumstances? I, I like it. I like it so much because it, it really reminds you that no matter who you are and where you are in life, you can be affected and touched by grief. Mm -hmm. And so even though there might be certain aspects of life that aren't as relatable with, certain, you know, depending on where you are, like you said, in school or out or um, there's all these other factors, but I think the the common thread is that you've had someone who's important to you die. And so no matter where you are in your life, that's a common thread that that is relevant in group and that's what connects the group. Mm, so finding like a common humanity mm -hmm. in the midst of being with people who are doing all sorts of different directions in their lives. Definitely, yeah. Uh, I'm curious because <clears throat> we have our new pathways groups mm -hmm. for families who have somebody who's dying uh, in the last few years in an advanced serious illness and that group wasn't happening when your dad was ill and it wasn't happening when you were eight and thinking through your experience what do you think about a group like that is that something you would have been drawn to something you think your family would have done I think so. I think I would have really loved to come to the Pathways group, um, especially if my dad's illness had been longer. It was only a month um, between his diagnosis mm -hmm. and his death, and so it was really fast. Um, I, but if it had been longer, I think I definitely would have appreciated coming to that group because when you're with someone who you know is dying, it's just such a surreal experience that um, I think it would have been great to connect with others having that same experience. It's really hard to talk with other people who aren't going through that when you are because you say oh you know my dad's dying he's on hospice it's happening right now that's a really scary thing for other people to hear and know what to how to respond to that and how so, do they usually respond what do they what do they say how well, do they... <laughs> from my memory it was a lot of wide eyes and kind of shock and like you know kind of a, a scared look on the mm -hmm. on their face um and you know i can understand that it's like it's hard to hear that information and it is scary um and so it was just it was hard to be in the world having that experience um and then trying to just connect with others in a normal way mm -hmm. because when you're with living with your family member who's dying that's just it's there's your life that's an extra layer mm -hmm. <laughs> of something so and so people just responding in that way where it's hard to even go past that. Like, what do you say after that? Right, because it's clearly so important um, and defining to you in that moment. So it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to carry on with a normal interaction. After how that does that point. compare with how people respond when you say, my mom died or my dad died? Is it a similar response or is that? I think, you know, in my, in my social circles, it's a little, um, people are a little better with the, with the, you know, my mom died or my dad died, and then responding. Um, you know, of course, there's always the, the range of responses that I hear, and some are more helpful than others. Um, but I think once the death has occurred, um, there's at least a little bit more of a social norm of knowing 
how to respond. Uh, like more of a custom that they can fall back on. Yeah, and sometimes it's not always the most helpful thing or not, but, but when someone is actively dying, I think that's just a scary, really scary, it's almost a tenuous thing for people to hear about. Um, so even though I felt secure in my experience when I was with my dad, I, I, you know, I knew what was going on, we were right there with him, it's the most important thing for us going on right then. Um, it was just hard to communicate about that yeah. outside our little world. So to have a, be able to have a conversation with someone who's not part of your family, who mm -hmm. isn't going to give you the wide-eyed look and isn't going to be totally uh, flummoxed about what to say. Yeah, I think it would have been really helpful. Mm -hmm. So now that you're in this new stage of life, you're going to grad school, that was a big thing to mm -hmm. graduate and then to decide to go to grad school. And <clears throat> how... What's helpful for you now in these different places in your life? So if someone's listening to this podcast and wanting to know, you know, I have a friend who's just about to graduate from college or they're going to get married or, and they've had their, both of their parents die, what, what would you say to them? So for me, um, what I find really helpful is when my friends or family members understand that grief can come up at different life events and different life stages, even the ones, and maybe sometimes especially the ones that, seem like they might be more celebratory or more, um, more happy events. And so for me, going to grad school, like you said, it was a huge deal where, you know, I really missed my dad because I didn't, I couldn't get his advice on the application. And when I was accepted, I, he wasn't there to celebrate with. And so this amazing thing in my life turned out to evoke this massive grief experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's helpful for me is just talking with others who understand that and can really say, yeah, I bet that brought up so much for you. Like, I can see why you would miss your dad. Um, and certainly with the other life events you mentioned, relationships, you know, um, getting married or having kids or other aspects of life as you, you know, move into adulthood, whether or not you have those experience that experiences, um, whatever milestones are important to you, that can really bring up grief. And so just talking with others that can understand that that would make sense for those experiences to bring up more grief. So people who can maybe slow down a little bit and recognize this is a celebratory event and there may be another side to this. Mm -hmm. There may be a shadow to the celebration that not everyone else is paying attention to. Exactly, yeah. And you know, one other thing is, and this might be a little more, um, a little more nuanced, but when I lost my dad, um, you know, not only was I grieving for him, but I also felt this double grief of becoming parentless. And so that was a huge um, element for me to grapple with at that time in my life. Um, I was leaving college, like I said, and launching into that young adult phase where I didn't have a safety net. Um, and I really felt that sense of not having that emotional backup um, of my parents there. And so I think I would say to anyone who's losing, um, who, who has lost both their parents, that it's normal to feel um, kind of a double layer of your grief mm. of I lost my parent who, you know, I miss my parent or um, however you're feeling about that. And then also, I just miss having parents, period. period. I miss having those roles filled, you know, mm. um, in my life because I really struggled with that after losing my dad on top of the grief for him. There's like missing him and his uniqueness, but also missing the symbol of what it means to have parents, caregivers, people you can go back to for support. Exactly, and all the little, you know, I couldn't call my dad, I couldn't check in with him, um, but then just, just yeah, like you said, just knowing that you have a parent in the world, um, that really affected me mm. um, for some time, and still does, still comes up for me of missing, you know, feeling that void of, of the people who are no longer here. What's been helpful for you with that piece of adjusting to acclimating, integrating that concept of being parentless? 
It's a it's an evolving process. It's going. <laughs> yeah, it's an evolving process. Um, time definitely has helped me um, get used to that idea and become um, more comfortable with it. And I think for me too, um, just being compassionate with myself and knowing that that's okay to feel frustrated or angry or feel that. Um, Jealousy, maybe. A little envy. jealousy. <laughs> Feel like it's a little unfair. You know, it's okay to have those feelings, and those feelings really come and go. Um, and, you know, just as grief changes so much over time and ebbs and flows and fluctuates, um, that's that's been my process with the feeling of being parentless, is that I've had to really work on being kind to myself when a whole range of feelings can come up about that. So that's so interesting. If, you know, we usually ask, like, what can other people do to help? But for you, you found going to yourself that you've been your biggest support and that there's thinking of what can other people do to support you in supporting yourself to say, yes, of course it's, of course you're going to have feelings of resentment and envy. That's okay. Yeah. That can help strengthen you to remind yourself in those times. Absolutely. That's certainly really helpful. And that's really been my, my biggest one. And I think more on the, the practical kind of help, helpy side of things, <laughs> um, you know, if there's something that, that you really miss about a parent, like there's, I'm not a, I don't believe anyone can really substitute or fill in for that role, but there, if there's one specific thing that, like, oh, I really miss getting a phone call after mm. a big event, you know, that's something that I've practiced asking for, too. Um, I'm not always so good about doing that, but it can help if you know if there's one certain thing that might be helpful to have someone else um, try to do for you. That that could help, and that, that really is also different for everyone. But Right, for I, some people, they might be like, oh, no, I'm good. My best friend's always going to call me after I have a job interview and someone else might say having somebody else call me instead of my mom is more painful than having no phone call exactly so, so that's a, that's a really personal personal detail that everyone has to sort out for themselves and how that feels um, and so for me like I, I don't do things like that all the time but there are certain little moments where I think okay maybe it would help if I could go get a meal with someone or mm -hmm. go have this um, experience. And so that's a work in progress too. And, and it is really personal and unique for each individual. Um, but I think mostly the, the self-compassion around the ups and downs of grief and all the variety of, of emotions that do come up. I'm just thinking at all the analogies that we've had in group over the years for the experience of grief from like the roller coaster to getting stuck in the swamp to the heart monitor beeping to mm -hmm. so many of them just speaking to that that up and that down and the the continuous vacillation that can happen for people in grief and so often it seems like people come into group or they come into their grief and they want the recipe for the linear progression mm -hmm. and we shared in in group this week about how interesting that you know, a heart monitor, you know, that's the beep and it goes up and it goes down. That's part of human existence. Yet we want this linear thing that keeps going. And if that was to happen to us medically in any format, it probably wouldn't be good, mm -hmm. right? If anything right. increases too much medically, that's usually a bad sign. Mm -hmm. But emotionally, that's what oftentimes we are craving or at least think we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So just another great reminder of that. There's vicissitudes, if I'm saying that word right, that it goes up and it goes down and to try to find that self-compassion. It really does. The times that I felt, you know, heightened grief came at such such random times, seemingly random times in the years following my dad's death and, and still come up at times that they might be totally random or they might be times that I have to think before I realize what the connection is, mm -hmm. why I'm feeling that grief. To slow that down. Mm-hmm. Well, Jenna, I'm so glad you were able to join us today. And I know I really 
one of my favorite parts of the job is to facilitate that young adult group. And I've so enjoyed all that you've contributed to the conversation with us in group and then here today. And what I imagine in group oftentimes is that you all come together and kind of shore yourselves up to go out into the world to advocate for yourselves and what you need in your grief. And I think you're just a fantastic model of that for other people in our group. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jenna. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. To learn more about us and to listen to past episodes, you can find us at Dougie.org. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you about grief and loss or any questions about our podcast. You can email us at help at Dougie.org and help us out and just put podcasts somewhere in the subject line. Thanks for listening.